If you want to make your favorite technicals, give me Gizmo Gang a call. Gizmo Sapiens. Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens show. Lord, what show is it? I don't, I don't know. We haven't done one in a while, and I'll figure the number out when it gets posted. <laughs> but uh, I'm Chris, and with me today is... I am Matt. And uh, we're doing a couple of, of interesting things. One, I'm not recording this on my Mac today. I'm actually recording it using my uh, M2 audio interface from Market Unicorn with my iPad Air. Uh, it's pretty cool how this works, and instead of using Logic, I'm, I'm using a, a program called Ferrite Pro. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to see how it goes. And then later I can take this and edit it in Logic like I uh, did the other podcasts or, or other episodes of the podcast. But uh, we'll see how it works. I'm, it, this, it, it's a little bit more portable setup. Uh, and again, it's new technology. I want to play with it. And speaking of Apple, I want to start with, um, Matt and I have talked about this a lot in the past about you know, the government picking winners and losers. And the European Union is trying to pick the winner of the charger uh, technology platform. So uh, I think a lot of this is, you know, the European Union has not had a, they've always had lobbyists, but they've never had the ability to really affect such a, a big change until probably the last five or ten years and they're lobbying uh, well their lobbying has and it's mostly the other Android winner or Android uh, manufacturers. manufacturers have have gotten the European Union to put a law into effect that requires everybody use USB-C as their their uh, charging platform uh, you know as the technology that you can plug your phone in, and everybody will have a USB-C charger. They, when they, this, I mean, years ago, when when this first got started, it was supposed to be micro USB because that was the dominant uh, connection that um, Android phones used, Android and other phones used at the time. And of course, you know, that's not the way Apple does things. And and frankly, micro USB, Apple's response was Lightning, which, while not my favorite connector actually fulfills all the things that makes you happy as an engineer, which is it doesn't matter which direction the connector goes in. Um, it's an actually, it's a fairly strong connection. I mean, f physically strong, you know. Apple made chargers for your iPhone and your iPod that use the lightning connector that had no support other than you plug your phone into the little, you know, eighth inch dongle and it would stand up on its own. Um, and it's, it's fairly hardy. Uh, you know, connection type. And so now that USB-C has come out, there, there's no, I think the European Union has saying that there's really no argument. And frankly, Apple is moving in that direction anyway. All their devices have been for years USB-C except for the iPhone. Um, but I think Apple's thinking something else as well in that respect. And, and that move is, has, uh, opened up the gates to where now the European Union has a law in the books that they're going to start enforcing in 2023 that requires that all smartphone and small device manufacturers use a common sta uh, charging standard, and that standard will be USB-C. Now, the problem with that is manyfold. Uh, one, although the USB-C standard 
which, which is a physical connection type. It is not a, as a matter of fact, Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 4 use the USB-C physical connector to do PCIe extension in a network. That's what Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 4 are, or is PCIe extension. Um, then there's the various levels of USB-C, which then have the USB 3, 3.0A, 3.1, 3.2, I mean, uh, and then 4 is the new nomenclature, although the technologies really haven't changed uh, terribly a, a lot that are part of that. And then there's all the Chinese manufacturers who make cables and chargers that just deliver power via USB-C, but the quality doesn't. Or, or they don't actually meet the standards of the physical connections exactly right. So, you know, you have this issue of where you can fry your device because it's not, uh, you know, it's not protected the right way or it's not grounded or whatever. I mean, uh, th that's been the bane of USB-C for forever is that, you know, certain cables will not transmit data. Other cables will not transmit power. The ones that are supposed to be certified do both. But then even then there's, you know, depending on the length of the cable, it's flaky. I mean, it, there's just all kinds of issues with this. So we're going to pick a, what I would call an immature technology in the European Union to standardize on. On the flip side of that, uh, and I read the, the numbers this morning in an article, actually it was a Google article because Google had their announcements yesterday about the new Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro and the Pixel Watch and, and Android 13, you know, their, their version of a, an Apple event. And, you know, a lot of what they're doing, they're, uh, they're getting late to the table. Android 13 is fine. It, it's a decent operating system, in my opinion. But the other technologies, you know, that the cohesiveness of a product that you want to create isn't there. And they, they put out the numbers because Google put... They, they kept calling out Apple in their, their presentation, you know, which is kind of funny. But in North America, Apple owns 52% of the smartphone market by themselves. In Eastern Europe, or Eastern Europe, in Western Europe, where European Union is going to control sway, Apple owns 52% of the market. Google and its Pixel phones only own 2% of that same market. Because the other 48% is split among all the other manufacturers of phones, whether it's Tizen by Samsung or Android. And, and the funny thing is, is the largest Android manufacturer in, in North America, or it, by purchased Android manufacturer in North America and Western Europe, is Samsung. And they even compete with themselves, or they compete with Google, by offering the same phones, but with their Tizen operating system, which is a comp competitor to, to Android. So if we look at this from the perspective of um, market leaders, um, we, it, 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 the, the lightning connector would be the connector that everybody would stand, standardize upon. Well, here's the problem with that. <clears throat> well, correct me if I'm wrong. That that's like proprietary technology, right? It is. Uh, well, all even USB C is proprietary technology. 
it was developed by by Intel, the the connector type, and so they get a, a they license that technology to other folks. Yeah, but that's and Apple licenses Lightning to other folks. Okay, uh, to me though, it comes down to if I go to try and replace my Apple charger, it's going to cost me a fortune comparatively to a to an Android charger. Yes and no. I mean, it's the same issues plague both both sides of the. Agreed, but but the point that I was about yeah. to make before I I asked that question is is this: Apple is one manufacturer. Now, granted, they they have fifty two percent of the market share, but they're one manufacturer. You're telling me that it it would be easier for the European Union to tell 52 other manufacturers or whatever the number is you must you must conform to lightning well i actually don't even i don't believe they should make them conform at all well, I, I agree with you cuz that's the government picking winners and losers and in well, this I case, mean, it's the government picking winners and losers in technology. And I'll tell you why it does it makes no sense, and it will be challenged in law even in the European Union. Because if that were the case, then all cars would have their gas tanks on the same side. Oh well, yeah. And so that it, worldwide, it wouldn't matter. It, you know, it would always be on the left hand side or the right hand side, so that everybody could conform to pulling into gas stations the same way. That's the same. That that's exactly the same uh, analogy. There's reasons why Apple uses Lightning, uh, and it may not be as good an argument today as it was when they originally did it, but there's reasons why manufacturers who sell you know, gasoline or diesel-powered vehicles have, you know, don't put the gas uh, tank, or, or the, I should say the, the gas opening to fill your tank on the same side of the vehicle. Remember, it used to be, it, in in the in the seventies and sixties, it was great because a lot of cars it was behind the license plate. My '65 Mustang, you you just turn the the Mustang emblem on the back, and the cap comes off, and there's your tank, you know, your your gas fill for your your car in the back. So it doesn't matter which direction you pull into a gas station, you can fill that car up. Um, but we don't conform to that today. And, you know, and, and I understand there are other vehicles that you can't do that with, like pickup trucks wouldn't make sense. <laughs> We're going to put the gas fill right there where the, the tailgate comes down. Or, But you see what I'm saying? It, it's, it is the same. That, that analogy is almost perfect in being the same. Um, the other thing that happens is, uh, in, in the, using the same uh, example, is... Uh, some manufacturers don't do this, which is kind of annoying, but uh, a lot of manufacturers, they, because the nozzle for diesel fuel is bigger than gasoline at most U.S. gas stations, I don't know about Europe, but I would assume it's the same, uh, they will make the, the gas fill hole too small on a gas vehicle so that you can't fill your car with diesel. But on the flip side, I've watched a lot of people fill their their diesel vehicle with gasoline by accident, which doesn't work so well. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying? It. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a perfect analogy because we're, it, because we're talking about Europe and the uh, the the percentage per capita of 
vehicle owners in Europe is significantly less than here, but true. But I mean, it from a technology, technology standpoint, standpoint, I yeah. I, I, I can. I can see the analogy, but I, again, you're talking Europe, you know? Well, the, the other thing is by having that standard, my, and, and it's not just Apple who's doing this, but I think the future of charging technology is cheap charging. And so, uh, I don't think we're too far off that flagship phones or, or e even mid-grade phones will no longer have USB connectors at all or any kind of connector because everybody uses Bluetooth headphones now. Most cars have Bluetooth connectivity in them. Um, but, yeah, how old is that phone, Matt? <laughs> Matt's showing me a phone with a... <laughs> with a headphone jack? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, but, that's, but that's why I still have it. Yeah. It's the last phone that has a headphone but, jack. But the reason they moved away from it is because they can now molecularly seal the phones, which makes them waterproof. Because the largest damaging thing to, to most people's phones was dropping them in the toilet, dropping them in the sink, you know, dropping them in a puddle. And, uh, and with phones being so expensive now because the model is not to be subsidized by the carrier, and this is worldwide, uh, you know, that, that became a much more important uh, feature, you know, to the phones. But, you know, Qi charging has also changed, like, like Apple with their MagSafe, so that it ensures that the Qi charger uh, stays in the exact best spot to make the coils, uh, you know, charge that, because Qi charging is induction charging. Uh, there is an induction coil in the back of your phone, and there's an induction coil in the charger. And Apple put a magnet around the edge, and even on their cases, they put a they show you where it exactly hooks on, and uh, it lines it up and it keeps it there, so your your phone charges really efficiently. It doesn't doesn't get warm because the coils are out of alignment, or it it doesn't charge all the way because the coils are out of alignment. And Samsung has done similar with their new flagship phones as well. And, and frankly, when you take Apple and Samsung and North America and Europe into account, you're talking like 70% of the phone market. So, it, it, I don't know. It, it, it's something to think about. But, I, I, you know, bad ideas like that are catchy. Uh, well, and, my, and my the, beef with that is, is that now that it has been codified into law... When technology changes, changes, people can't innovate. They now are going to have to amend the law, which yeah. is problematic. Well, it, it it's also well, it does stifle innovation. It too. stifles that's, innovation. That's that's the other you know, issue with that. Because even if they want to bring out a new technology, they still have to provide that USB C connection. Right. Know? But my my my. Uh, lack of ire is standardization in technology is, is a good thing. It can be. Because you want to be able to you really do want to use any charger. You want to be able to go and say hey I, I need to charge my phone and not have to sort through the 15 different cables to find the one that fits your phone. 
you just want to be able to charge your phone. Now, when you get into this new technology that is starting to become more pervasive, uh, you don't have to mess with a cable at all. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and charging is a standard, and it works. You know, you know uh, the problem there is, is you got guys like me who are still using ancient technology because we like it. Or so, you're cheap. Well, I mean, this is my work phone. I know. If I wanted to get a newer phone, I could get a newer phone. But there is a specific application which requires usage of a headset that I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to mess around with Bluetooth yet. I understand that. Yeah, but. But yeah, I mean, but that, that's options. At least you have options. Whereas in, in the future in the European Union, and, and like I said, my, my beef with this is, is not, because it doesn't affect us. No, it I really mean, doesn't. Reali reality doesn't, but my beef with it is, is those ideas become pervasive across the, the Atlantic. And, you know, right now... How many now, times have we heard, let's be more like Europe? Yeah. Uh, which, well, you know, we, I mean, we never hear, let's be more like Europe, yet we become more like Europe every day. <laughs> We'll see if that changes in November. <laughs> so uh, let me go. Let's see what else is out there. Uh, so NVIDIA last week, Justin Wong, the, the, uh, the CEO of NVIDIA, said that Moore's Law and, and Pat Gelsinger, the president of, of Intel, also said that Moore's Law is, is no longer relevant because... You know, Moore's Law stated that every 12 to 18 months, we would double the amount of transistors on a processor at the same cost, and it would be the same cost as, as uh, the previous, you know, iteration. Uh, we're still doubling, if not tripling, the amount of transistors on, on chips, but, but Intel and NVIDIA are having problems delivering that same technology at the same cost as the previous generation. But AMD doesn't seem to be having that problem. Apple and Apple Silicon don't seem to be having that problem. Uh, most of the ARM manufacturers don't seem to be having that problem. So, you know, it, it's really, to me, it's a marketing gimmick for them to justify uh, inflationary price increases because of scarcity. Scarcity is what's driving the cost up, not not the fact that the manufacturing processes and things are more expensive, you know, and, and that's a, that's a, a issue with many, many moving parts that's causing this. But the fact of the matter is, is at least in the United States where most of these manufacturers are, are headquartered, you know, they don't manufacture their stuff here in the States. They, uh, so they have, logistics issues going on um, that, you know we have bad monetary policy in both the United States and, and and Western Europe and frankly right now across the world um, we have labor disputes going on because and and, and you know I, it's kind of funny so I read Bloomberg puts out a newsletter called uh, 
what do they call it? They put out, it, it's about logistics every day. Um, and because it's one of the parts of the technology industry that you don't really think about as being, because, you know, you think about the, when you're a technologist like I am, you, you sit there and you think about the, you know, how, how small can we make, you know, microscopically small can we make the process for making chips, which makes them denser and which in turn makes them faster, but also in turn makes them use less power. And, you know, there, there are these things that technology brings, you know, um, but we don't think about the fact that, you know, we may have to ship the majority of the product because it's manufactured in Singapore or Taiwan to the United States. And when it gets here, after it waits a couple months in line at like the ports of, of Los Angeles and, and Long Beach, um, you know, then, then how long does it take to get from there across the country? And in the United States, they, yet luckily we, have, we avoided a strike, but we had a potential strike because there was the labor unions for the, the railroad workers, you know, needed to renegotiate their contract. But at the same time, in the last two months, long haul shipping companies, who, you know, who do container ships and railroads who, who move construction equipment and cars and everything all across the world, um, they're having a, uh, because people are switching from buying goods to services again, uh, they're seeing a dramatic decrease in their uh, cost per container. So, you know, the, there's this huge dynamic that's going on. Um, and, and I think that's where NVIDIA and Intel don't do a good job at, at, as being experts in logistics because they're not able, and I don't think they're doing a good job building or, or finding the contracts to move their material back and forth, you know, to the places they need them at. And so, and, you know, their answer is, is we're going to charge you more. I, they're not the only ones. Ford put out an article yesterday that said that they're going to increase the F-150 Lightning in 2023 by $5,000 to $8,000, depending on your model. Well, yeah, that doesn't sound like much, but that makes the base model F-150, which I already thought was super, super expensive, but all electric F-150, from like $47,000 to $52,000 and takes the top line model, you know, from like $87,000 to $92,000. That's a huge hit, you know? That, that, and, and people go, well, that, you know, five to $8,000, that's not that big a deal, but it is when you have to finance it. You know, that's, that's a different tier when you look at financing from, from the banks who want to, you know, to finance a vehicle. And they have what they call the F-150 Lightning Pro model, too, which is the one that they sell to construction companies and farmers and, and uh, the government and things like that. And they had to increase the price of those proportionately as well. Uh, and, and, you know, they're blaming the lack of chips, which... Not too far from here, if you go down to Sparta, Kentucky, where the Sparta Raceway is, well, the F-150 manufacturing plant in Louisville uses that raceway as a place to park vehicles um, that usually get shipped out. Well, there's like 45,000, and this isn't just the electric ones, there's like 45,000 trucks there right now because they can't get the parts to 
finished building them, which are all microelectronics, you know, and processors that are needed to efficiently, you know, according to EPA standards, run these vehicles. So, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's a multifaceted problem that's driving, you know, inflation in the economy up. And then throw on top of that the cost of fuel, you know. It, yeah, great. U.S. government released a whole bunch of, of gasoline from the oil reserves. Well, that, if, you're, if you really think about it, that was just a stopgap measure to get people to quit complaining about gas prices, you know, so that they can go on vacation and, and go out of work. But diesel prices, which is what we, <laughs> we diesel train engines, you know, all, all of all your construction equipment runs on diesel. All your farm equipment runs on diesel. Well, the majority of your farm equipment runs on diesel. Um, all your, your semis run on diesel. Um, that's another thing that's contributing to the higher inflationary cost of all goods, you know, that are shipped in the world. So, you know, it... I wish I had a, an answer to say, well, if we did this one thing, it would fix all this, but it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the, the lesson to be drawn here is it took us a long time to get here. It's going to take us a long time to get out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it also doesn't mean that Moore's Law is broken. <laughs> True. You know. So uh, I, I think we'll leave it at there. Uh, we definitely need to, um, well, I, uh, there's one other thing. So I, I do want to talk about from a, an interesting thing that's happened and will affect a lot of PC gamers, um, is that EVGA, who was the premier NVIDIA manufacturer for video cards, you know, the cards were extremely reliable. They were cooled well. I mean, they were just beautifully put together has exited that market with NVIDIA. They said they, really? yeah, they, uh, they're, they're not exiting the PC market. They're still gonna make power supplies and, and, and coolers and things like that, but they are no longer going to manufacture uh, video cards as of right now. Now they're currently supporting the video cards they have and you can still buy EVGA cards that they have manufactured, but they are not gonna be manufacturing the new 4000 series processors from NVIDIA, so. It's kind of a weird thing, and I and now that being said, it would not shock me if EVGA starts making Intel Arc processors because Intel's kind of had a bad rap with the Arc processors. I mean, we should have had them in our hands, and we don't. And uh, so maybe they will they will manufacture those, or maybe they'll cut a sweet deal and start manufacturing um, AMD Radeon cards. Uh, which would actually be the bigger blow to NVIDIA is that, you know, their premier makers now competing against them in, in, uh, in that market. So, and I will, I'm going to end it on one last technology thing. So Intel has decided to get rid of the Pentium branding. Really? Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the, the Pentium, when it came back uh, in the early, came out in the early nineties was the premier processor, you know, you had Pentium and Pentium Pro, Pentium Pro being the server and workstation processor, and then Pentiums, and we had many iterations, you know, uh, Pentium, Pentium, 
2, Pentium 3, Pentium 4 before we moved to the, the core. But multi-core Pentium processors have been around and kind of been the budget processor for Intel for a long time. You could get, you know, dual and quad-core Pentium processors and they, they would cost you like $45. Uh, you know, forty-five to ninety dollars instead of paying a more premium. You know, for people who were on a budget. Well, they're no longer going to use that branding anymore. Pentium and Celeron are dead. They're going to now just call it the Intel processor, which is so creative. <laughs> Marketing guys really stretched their imaginations on that one. Well, you know, they they did a a, a poll on Facebook, and that's what people chose. <laughs> It's not like they they have brilliant minds out there. Just saying. Yeah. Well, we want to hear from you. Please send us feedback to gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the digital flip side. Listening to Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G I Z M O S A P I E N S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side. <laughs>